You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable, and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. What goes through your mind on Mother's Day? Well, DC Comics has Wonder Woman. Uh, Marvel Comics has Spider Woman and also She-Hulk. And until recently, many were faulting Marvel for not doing enough to promote and give us what we all want, a female superhero. And they feel they've done that in the latest Avengers movie. But the problem is, you may not feel like Charlotte Johansson. You may be sitting there thinking, I feel overwhelmed. Because we know that film and media give us pictures, but they're often very unrealistic. As a woman, you may be thinking, I have a hard enough time sometimes just getting through the day, let alone somehow thinking I can save the universe. Well, I want us to look at Proverbs chapter 31. Certainly a very familiar passage. And I don't always teach specifically on women, moms, on Mother's Day. Uh, But I think we need to go back to this because film and media give us one portrayal of what does a female superhero look like. Proverbs 31 gives us, I believe, a more accurate assessment and picture of what that should be. 
So as you make your way to Proverbs 31, uh, the title of the section alone gives you an indication of what it's going to be about. Uh, but I want you to keep in mind that this is an acrostic poem. In other words, when you look at 10 through 31, it's in the structure not just of a poem, but of an acrostic poem. And what that means is we have other psalms that are written this way. Each verse begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And it will make its way methodically through the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet in each succeeding verse. And you may find yourself thinking, why, why would God design certain passages of Scripture to be written this way? And there's a very simple answer. It aids with memorization. That what we're reading here in Proverbs 10, or excuse me, Proverbs 31, 10 through 31, is a passage that was intended to not just be given orally, but to be memorized to be recited and repeated. And as I thought about that, the question that I thought of was, well, who, who would be intended to memorize this? Well, turn to the very beginning of this proverb. Look at chapter 31, but verse 1. Because too often I think we get to 10 through 31 and think this is a great passage for women. It's a great passage for mothers, grandmothers, reminding them of, of God's expectation somehow. But when we do that, we're only hitting one part of the audience. In verse 1 that opens this chapter, it says, this, The sayings of King Lemuel, an oracle his mother taught him. Now, we know nothing about King Lemuel. But here is a king who now is reciting what his mother taught him about what to look for as a king in a spouse and in a woman. And all you need to do is kind of flip through Proverbs and you realize there, there's a lot of teaching in Proverbs, not just about wisdom in general, but relationships. What, what are healthy relationships that we should have? What are relationships that are destructive between males and females? And Proverbs touches the gamut on those. But now you come to this one, and we must realize here, it was to be memorized. And this king obviously did memorize this and is now reciting it, saying, this is the instruction I received and it's good instruction, so I'm going to pass that along to you. And so we stand on the benefit of saying this is another piece of Scripture that is meant for our encouragement and our teaching. So in other words, this isn't a passage just for moms or wives or mothers or grandmothers or great-grandmothers. It's as much a passage for men to listen to, to think about, to pray for the others in our church. It's a passage, if you're single, to say this is sort of what you should be focusing on, not what our world tells you makes a female superhero or someone of value, but what, what does God's 
perspective on this? And why is his perspective so different and distinct from our world? Well, go back with me to Proverbs 31, and now we'll get into the actual teaching that we find. Uh, Proverbs can be a challenging book to preach from. And one of the reasons is the Proverbs often in and of themselves stand alone. So you have one verse that gives a proverb. That in itself can be a message. And often the next proverb is not necessarily related to the previous one. But there is an advantage when you come to Proverbs 31, 10 through 31, in that now you have a, a very broad, specific topic that's before us. And so when looking at this topic, you have this description of a virtuous, a noble wife, mother, and woman. And I want you to be thinking, is this, as a woman, is this encouraging to read this? Because I think sometimes, and we'll get to this on Father's Day, but sometimes we read a passage like this and, and we feel worse than what we did before we read it. Because we suddenly realize, here's God saying all of these characteristics and ideal. And, and here I am, down here, struggling. But it is meant for our encouragement and our instruction. And you'll see why. But as you come to verse 10, which begins this section, I want you to realize that in this acrostic poem, you cannot separate the character from the actions. As much as you would like to sort of make this into maybe a, a neat little sermon where you could do just three main points, it's very hard to do because everything that revolves around the actions are tied to the character. And notice that's very different from the sentiment we often see in the world today. People speak of, look, that, that's my job. I do that. That has nothing at all to do with my character or who I am. And Scripture pulls that apart and says to us, no, who you are has everything to do with how you act, how you think, because it all comes out of the heart. Let's take a look at this picture we have. Notice verse 10. It says, a wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. This thought of here is a, a character and a picture that stands out from what's in our world. King Lemuel could say this is what was true in his day. I think we could look at this and say this is absolutely true in our day. That where do we see this kind of character that's marked by valor and worth? It's a very unique phrase. In fact, the only other time I found this phrase used in reference to another woman is if you turn with me for a moment to the book of Ruth. So there's, you have the book of Ruth, and you're going to notice the book of Ruth there comes after the period of the judges. Uh, the judges were an awful, dark time in Israel's history uh, when everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Contrast that with the book of Ruth. You have a refreshing picture now of a character that loves God, isn't focused on expediency, but, but on holiness. But if you look with me at Ruth chapter 3, 
and verses 10 and 11. Here's Boaz who will function as the kinsman redeemer for, for Ruth. But listen to how she is described in verses 10 and 11. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Wow, what a, what a connection there between what we're talking about in Proverbs 31 was exemplified in Ruth. In looking to provide for her own self, she didn't do what many did in that day, and even maybe today, look for who would give her the most financial security, who maybe was the best looking out of the lot of available men. She wanted to be faithful to God, to her covenant with Naomi, was more focused, as I said, on holiness and obedience than just expediency. So now returning to Proverbs 10, it goes on here and, and intermingles the character with the action. So we'll sort of walk through a number of these verses. Notice in verse 11, her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. Uh, her husband is completely trusting of her. In, in every area of life, he, he has fullest confidence in her. What a statement of not just marital fidelity, but that oneness that is there between a man and a woman. Think about when you leave the house as a husband, man, uh, you know, are you fearful when you come home, all your stuff's going to be sold and gone? Uh, are you thinking, you know, who knows what she's doing? I can't see her right now. The sense of, wow, full confidence and trust. And not because she's perfect, but as you'll see, because she loves God. And of that love translates into a confidence that you have in her. But you also see in verse 12, it says, she brings him good, not harm. Now, this is not implying if you're married that your wife is just there to coddle you, um, to, to tell you good things about yourself. Uh, yes, you could say that she encouraged, she builds up. But when you think of this word, she pursues and brings him good. You want to think big picture. She's also concerned for him spiritually. She wants him to be a godly man. She desires that for him. She prays for him in that regard. Now, we know we should each be concerned about the spiritual health and vitality of one another, but this is taking it into the most intimate relationship and saying, this is what matters most to her. It reveals her character. It reveals her heart, which we were just singing about in our chorus that this is what matters. And it's interesting, as you speak with people often about marital issues or relationship issues, it's very interesting how often 
you hear sort of the same things coming from different perspectives. I want someone to care for me. I want someone to lead, to protect. Clearly not to stifle. That's not the biblical design of marriage. But there's a sense that we are hardwired to want some of these very things that God is saying he designed men and women to provide for each other in marriage. If I go a little further, verses 13 through 16, and you'll notice that the language here is certainly appropriate to the day and the age, to the original audience, but I think we can understand the principles. In verses 13 through 16, this woman is displayed as being industrious, diligent, and devoted. Uh, notice verse 14. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. Now this is no implication on the physical side, size of your spouse here. She's like a merchant ship. But it's a picture of the Phoenicians who traveled and brought goods. And so you have this picture here that the wife is industrious. Uh, that, that she looks to provide and meet the needs and responsibilities in a creative and a diligent way. I like how one person put it and said, I think this is referring to how my wife likes to shop for a bargain and she'll go the farthest distance to get that bargain. And I think there's some maybe little grain of truth to that. You know, how each of us have been blessed by spouses who can be very smart industrious, thrifty, providing for the needs and responsibilities and, and not limiting the extent to which they will go to do that. But then also in verse 15, remember if this is given to a king, we can assume the king would have many household servants. So you notice in verse 15 it says, she gets up while it is still dark, she provides food for her family and portions for her servant girl. In other words, she's, she's a wise administrator, organizer, and overseer. You know, even in this picture of a royal household, she, she takes care of, of not just those immediate there, but all who fall under her responsibility. What a, what a picture to us of one who is wise, who, who we rely on and depend on, not to the neglect of responsibilities that, that we know we all have in Christ and as husbands and men we have, but this thought of what a, a perfect blending together. She, she's industrious. She's, she's diligent. Unlike often the criticism you hear from, from people today who think that the Bible is just sexist or the definition of marriage and according to scripture is something that is oppressive. Uh, I was reading of one feminist who recently said uh, that the, the description in Proverbs 31 is worse than being a prostitute. In other words, they, they looked at this and said, this is terrible. This is so repressive and repulsive. But yet we see in this always in God's design, tremendous liberating and freedom and a functioning of a relationship that is as it was meant to be. But then notice verse 16. It says, she considers a field and buys it. 
out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Now she's doing all this, why? Not, not to build her own kingdom. Not so she can have a separate bank account from her spouse, but to provide for her family. I find it interesting sometimes, and we can think of maybe the spouses our kids marry and, and sort of look at them and say, yeah, one of them's kind of the, the financial genius in the relationship. And that's a good thing. That, that they are knowledgeable. That they're creative. In this sense, you could say this woman is sort of an entrepreneur. I mean, she's, she's a go-getter, but, but not to the neglect of other higher priorities. But she provides for her family. She's diligent. She's dedicated. She's devoted. And yet, as you read this, she has not lost herself. In fact, we could always say by following God's design here, we truly do find ourselves in Christ. Isn't that what Jesus said? That if you want to gain your life, what do you need to do? Lose it. Be, be completely devoted to him. And I think as we go through this, we see the key is this is not a woman who has no concept of who she is or her purpose. She sees all that very clearly. But it's all because of her love and devotion first and foremost to her creator and her Redeemer. So verses 13 through 16 sort of draw out this character of industrious, diligent, and devoted. But then verses 17 through 19 emphasize she's confident and she's committed. Notice verse 17, she sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. Uh, you know, this thought being not that she's some female bodybuilder here, uh, but, but she has the strength to do that which needs to get done. I'm sure at times we, we've all kind of marveled and said, I don't, I don't know how my wife accomplished that. You know, we're not just talking about, well, they're physically so strong, but, but mentally persevering. Uh, labor alone is an issue many would say. Men can't deal with that kind of pain. We're babies when it comes to that. You know, it's this picture of one who vigorously sets about her work. Notice verse 18. She sees that her trading is profitable. She's confident. And not a wrongful sort of arrogance or pride, but I think knows her abilities, knows her strengths. And from a Christian perspective, we said, is very much aware of what her spiritual gifts and abilities are and how she can maximize them for her family and for the kingdom of God. Not a picture of someone who's just cowering in a corner and, and waiting for directions from her husband, but one who is confident. She knows her trading is profitable. And verse 19 mentions the distaff and the spindle, uh, two pieces of equipment in the process of making thread. And so here is one who is very much committed to providing what she can for her family. Then notice verses 20 and 22 sort of take us outside of that realm slightly. She's compassionate and caring. 
Verse 20, she opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. And we often, in our own thinking, and it can vary certainly in marriages, but then we often associate with mothers the sense of compassion and caring. Think back when your kids maybe had fallen down and gotten hurt. The mother is, let me look at that, we'll wash it out, we'll clean it. Typically, your dad is like, hey, you still can feel it? Okay, should get better soon. Uh, you know, there, there's a difference in how we handle things. But in this depiction, she, she takes the initiative to respond to the needs around her. But notice verse 21. She also does two other things which are interesting. She makes coverings for her bed. Or excuse me, in verse 21. When the snow has fallen, she has no fear for her household for all of them are clothed in scarlet. What parent, what mother hasn't willingly sacrificed something to better provide for her kids and would not hesitate to do that again for not just her children, but her maybe grandchildren. She makes sure that they are provided for and in a sense dressed as best as she can. Scarlet's interesting. You think of this dark color, reference to snow, but you can't have snow in the Middle East. Uh, the thought here, scarlet, would tend to hold the warmth in. So a very deliberate, intentional choice here. But she's not only caring and compassionate for the needs of others, but verse 22, her husband, or excuse me, verse 22, she makes coverings for her bed, and she is clothed in fine linen and purple. Uh, that phrase, she makes coverings for her bed, is found earlier in Proverbs in a completely different context. Earlier in Proverbs, it's a reference to a woman who would sexually try to seduce someone. Certainly a sin. Here it's used in the reference, she is caring and compassionate towards her husband that she never gets to the point where she kind of gets to, hey, I don't, I don't need to try my best to look attractive. And I would say the same for men here. It's saying we should always, to the best of our abilities, want to maintain an attractiveness to our spouse. So the, the Proverbs isn't saying, all right, if you're a godly woman, looks don't matter at all. What it is saying is, that's not your focus, but don't ignore that. In this case, she does her best to make sure she still realizes, I should be attractive to my husband, and he should be attracted to me. And I would hope for most of the men here who are married, you would not feel embarrassed at all to say, I, I still find my wife attractive. My wife knows I find her attractive. Sometimes probably a little annoying, but I, I do. <laughs> uh, and, and we should all kind of feel that way and want to. It's not a point where after so many years, we're just like, well, you know, it's just sweatpants time. Let's just give up and, you know, we're married. Uh, that's it. Uh, you know, a very healthy God-designed perspective here. 
But it shouldn't surprise us that this woman in this passage has an expanding impact. Her, her influence is tremendous, which kind of says to us, th this is a job, this is a career, this is a high calling to be a godly woman and wife. Notice just quickly in verses 23 through 27, verse 23, she adds to her husband's reputation and success. She is, her husband is respected at the city gates where he takes his stand among the elders of the land. She makes her husband a better, more godly man. And isn't that what we want to see happening? Women doing that, building up, pointing other men to be godly men, men doing that for their wives, for generally other women in the church who are going to feel pressured to conform to the image presented in media and everything else, that this is what it means to be a woman, not what you read in Proverbs 31. She has an influence in her own business and known by others. Verse 24, uh, she makes linen garments, she sells them, she supplies the merchants with sashes. Notice she is clothed with strength and dignity, can laugh at the days to come. She has a godly perspective. There's a strength, there's a dignity about her that's not based on her appearances, her intellect alone, or her connections, or net value. It's based on her heart that loves God and desires to serve God. In a sense, you have a picture here of a woman who is not saving the universe. She's focused on her own world, where God has put her for such a time as this. And yet no one would read this and say she hasn't influenced or impacted the lives that she has touched. The fact that King Lemuel is writing this says to us, here's proof of the tremendous impact. Winston Churchill, who is not necessarily known for his friendly demeanor, uh, had a biography being written about him. He was given a rough draft to read. The next day he returned it, slammed it down on the desk. And all he wrote on the front was you have omitted to mention my greatest teacher, my mother. And so we see the profound impact evidenced to us in Proverbs 31. Which brings us to the close of this in verses 28 through 31. A praise and applause. That there is an appraisal here given of, of what this looks like. And so notice you have mentioned her children recognize her. They call her blessed. They're not worshiping her, but they're recognizing what a blessing this godly woman has been to us. Not only do her children praise her, you have the thought that her husband also is quick to express his praise and thankfulness to God. Most importantly, the praise goes to God 
because you notice how it says in verse 30, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. The very way that Proverbs 1 opens when in verse 8 it says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So you come full circle now, connecting the character with the actions. One of the things you don't want to do with Proverbs 31 is use it as a means to look at yourself as a woman. Because I think as you read this, she sounds like a superhero. She rarely seems to eat. She's active. She goes to bed late. She's up early before anyone else. You kind of look at that and say, I, I can't do that. I'm already wiped out now. You know, I, I can't meet this. The other way you don't want to read this is if you're a man, to use this as a report card on your wife or any other woman. To kind of hold it up and say, all right, let's, let's go over this. Let's see how you're doing. So what is the purpose of this? Well, I believe it's twofold. One is it shows us that godly character is ultimately a work of God alone. That no, no woman can do this to perfection. No matter how hard you try on your own, it is impossible. So if you're reading this and saying, that's impossible, you got it. You're right. This transformation, this ongoing work is a work of God alone. Just the first purpose, it reminds us. But secondly, it also is in Scripture to point us to who is the only one who is perfect in wisdom, in knowledge, in love, Jesus Christ. So in very much, it is both a challenge to all of us and an encouragement. God changes our character. God produces these things in increasing degree. And it always is to take our eyes to Jesus Christ. Margaret Paxton was an interesting woman. Um, she married John. John's first wife had died in the mission field where they were uh, ministering to the Hebrews in Scotland. So when she married him, she knew they were going back to the New Hebrews, and life would be tough. And throughout her memoirs, she writes of how difficult it was. But she makes an interesting comment. She says that life never got easier, but she got better at living it. In other words, she learned how, in God's strength, to get better and better at demonstrating godliness. That should be what we're praying for our women, our wives, and for ourselves as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a great God. And so thank you for this passage, for what it should teach us in a world that wants to sell us an image of what it means to be a wife, a mother, and a woman that is not accurate nor truthful. And we find that truth only here. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.